Hey there, and welcome back to Cibolo Creek Conversations. My name is Wyatt Marchant, and you are about to listen to part two of a two-part conversation where Paul and I discuss the two fundamental resources that each of us have in our life, time and energy. Our lives are made up by what we choose to do with our time and with our energy. Now, if you haven't already, I would suggest going back and listening to part one, but regardless, enjoy the episode. So a lot of people would probably push back against that, at least to some degree. Um, there's a lot of people who feel this pressure that, well, they're maybe they're the breadwinner of their household, and they have to go and be gone all the time or else, you know, they don't make the bills or they lose their job or this, that, or the other. Um, what, what does someone with that type of conflict do? Yeah, so now what you're talking about really is about values. Uh-huh. And so the person who says, well, I'm the breadwinner, they have to make some decisions about how much bread do I have to win, which translates to what kind of lifestyle am, are we going to lead? Well, you can make some really lousy choices there. You can make some wise choices. And the really lousy choices are, well, the lifestyle that we want to lead that I need to make the bread for is so really defined by the world that I have to live in this kind of a house and drive these kinds of cars and go on these kinds of vacations and have this sort of, you know, standard of living and, and portray this sort of lifestyle. Well, that takes X number of dollars. Well, you've just created a value system. So now you're chasing after providing for that. And a lot of people get wrapped around the axle. And yes, they have to spend so much of their time and energy on making that living that they can't be around and have energy for their kids. Yeah. Or their friends or, you know, the place of God in their life. So they, yeah, they ended up making a sacrifice based on a value that they chose, never really stopping to think that their value was all screwed up. Yeah. Because they could have made it, they could have made a different choice to say, "Well, my wife and my kids are really, really important to me, and I'm not willing to sacrifice them for the sake of this career and making X number of dollars a year." So what we'll do is we'll scale down on the house that we live in, the cars that we drive, the lifestyle that we create, because there's only so much time and energy. And for me to enjoy the stewardship of my wife and my family, that means I have to be here. I can't always be at work. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate that the higher value truly is my wife and my family mm-hmm. by adjusting, or as you mentioned earlier, making the sacrifice that I can't live with you know, competing with the Joneses, but that's okay because what I get in being a better steward of my wife and my family over opposed to, you know, chasing after the mighty dollar is just a much more satisfying, uh, fulfilling experience. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's just God's wisdom. God's been trying to tell people that for centuries, that there's, there's greater things in life than making a lot of money. Yeah. Wealth is very expensive in that way. Yes. Because you're paying for it with a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. I mean, poverty, the other flip side of that is poverty has a lot of different expressions, and it's not necessarily 
uh, the side of town you live on, you, you can be an impoverished person because your marriage and your family is so broken because of your absence or your neglect that you, you could be a multimillionaire. But the people closest to you hate your guts. You're poor. I mean, there will be plenty of very, very wealthy people who will show up in heaven someday empty-handed. They'll have nothing to show for themselves in the economy of God about what really mattered. Nothing lasts beyond um, what they created on the earth. They can't take it with them. And so, yeah, by the world standards, they were incredibly successful. But in the economy of God, they were complete failures. And even in the world standards, it's only, I guess, that what you can see from the outside. I think a lot of the time, things are kind of falling apart, but they look great, you know? Oh, so much is hidden behind the guise of wealth. I mean, truth of the matter is, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor here in this area for 25 years. This is a relatively, you know, upscale. Affluent. Affluent area. But because I'm a pastor, I have sort of the the inside story of what goes on behind the beautiful doors of these amazing homes. And it's, it's not always pretty. There's a lot of heartache and a lot of brokenness and incredible dysfunction and scars and messes and, you know, everything, addictions and abuse and discontentment and emptiness. I mean, it's... And yet they live in the nicest house in the community. Yeah. And I see that all the time, and it just drives home the factor that um, the choices we make have this enormous impact on our life, and money can't, can't buy us out of it. You know, you kind of first started, whenever you're talking about how you were going through, not a midlife crisis, but, you know, something of the sort that people call it, and you were like, man... And you had you realize you had these anxieties and fears, and that people don't think about someone in their fifties having fears or anxieties. But I actually think that it's because I started working probably here, but uh, working here at this church that I haven't ever assumed that. Like I've never thought, "Oh, they've got it all together because they're old and they have a job." <laughs> you know, it's like because I also hear snippets or. Or I talk to people, and it's like, no, nobody really has it together. Um, and most people aren't doing this. They aren't assessing their life. Um, there's definitely no age to it. That's that's the point oh, I'm trying to make. No. Definitely no age to it because, yeah. So I've never had that problem. Never been intimidated in that way or they've made those assumptions. Huh. Um, but when you had to... Um, I guess look at at what you uh, actually. I got lost now. I'm gonna cut this out. Okay. <laughs> I got lost what I was saying. What did you say right before I said that? I can't remember. Oh boy, I have to write it down, or else this I forget. Will be the perfect place for us to divide the episode. <laughs> yes, it will be. Let's go in the blooper reel. Yes, it will be. Um, I will just go then to. Um, I guess advice on how to do this. How's that? Okay. That good? Sweet. And so, um, 
I guess whenever you're, uh, those people listening, they're kind of hearing us uh, talk about this in our normal jumping around fashion. Um, what would you say to um, the listener on, one, do they need to, to assess themselves in this way, assess how they're spending their time and energy, um, and how to maybe kind of tell if they need to, and then how to do so? Well, I, I don't even... I don't even think it's negotiable. If you want to live your life intentionally, you have to do this work. Um, otherwise, you're just left with the default. So I think important exercises that every person who wants to live their life intentionally has to do, they have to sit down and create the blueprint. And And that's not done in a day. I'm talking about weeks and months maybe of reflection and meditation and, you know, really diligent uh, discernment. What do I want my life to be about? What do I want to stand for? What is the story I want to tell? What is the legacy I want to leave? I mean, all these questions. I think if you want to build a life that tells the story that you want people to know, you have to create that blueprint you have to decide what are the components what are the rooms in the house that I want to build the second thing that I think no one ever does and few people do intentionally you have to decide what are your values it, it you know I think it'd be an interesting study I could go up to anybody random person on the street and t- tell me your top five values they would be clueless. It's funny you say that. That's always my, me and my friends or fiance, we have people over and uh, we're always talking in the hot tub. And my go-to question to just really freak out a new person is, hey, what do you value? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great conversation starter there, yep. Wyatt. Yep. Here we are in the hot tub. Hey, what's your most important value? Well, so most people, they'll at least fumble around. Yeah. And then they'll they'll basically say all of the kind of socially acceptable one. Oh, I value family. Or I value honesty or I value my health. Cuz those are fashionable to say. But then the pushback is, well, how do you distribute time and energy toward them? You say they're valuable, but do you have evidence that you distribute time and energy toward them because that's how you really know if they're valuable. Yeah. Um, you know, a person can say, you know, my physical fitness is important to me. That's, it's a value to me. And then you say, Oh yeah, well tell me about all the time and the energy that you put toward that. That one's kind of a hard one to lie about too. Yeah. Yeah. It'll start to show after a little while. <laughs> so I, I think it's really important that a person, again, somebody who wants to live their life intentionally, they really need to give time and thought to what are my values? What are the most important things to me? And then you, know, you have to basically courageously defend that because you'll get squeezed from a million different directions of people who will have another set of values for you. And... Um, so you, you have to decide those values. You have to declare them, even if it's just to yourself. And then you have to execute against them. 
and decide I'm not going to be intimidated or I'm not going to be bullied or I'm not going to be shamed for how I'm choosing to distribute my time and energy in relationship to these things that I hold valuable. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll just keep getting pulled back into the script. And that happens enough over time. Now you're, you're 85, 90, and you just realized I lived everybody else's agenda for my life, and I didn't live my own. And when I say I didn't live my own, that, that might sound selfish, like I just did my thing. I'm talking about the life that I created, the blueprint that I created in relationship to my understanding of my stewardships before God. Yeah. And well, it does, it can sound selfish saying it that way, but like if your values are uh, worthy, then, uh, and they aren't completely self-centered, like, just, well, I want to get rich personally. I don't like really care. That's a psychopath. But very few of those. Um, but, like, if each person did that, like, I mean, my top value is be like, okay, well, I want to be a really good husband. I want to be a really good father in the future. I want to be a good friend. I want to, you know, those kind of things. You want to steward your responsibilities well. That's helping out everybody. It just sounds selfish, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just sounds selfish. Yeah, I'm not, when I think of the blueprint, I'm not thinking in terms of building the luxurious, convenient, comfortable life for me. Yeah. I'm really thinking in terms of building the kind of life that reflects a calling and a legacy that I want to leave in the lives of particularly my sons. Um, I certainly hope to live a life and leave a legacy that um, leaves this church in good stead after I'm gone. Um, I hope that the way I lived my life and the things that I put time and energy to, uh, some eternities have been altered because of my influence in someone's life. So, yeah, it's it's not a it's not a selfish thing. It's a it's it was really more of a quest to to live a noble kind of life in keeping with who God created me to be. There's a word you don't hear much anymore. Noble. Mm. I love the word noble. It needs to be used more often. People need to strive to be noble more often. Sure, sure. But, all right, so assess blueprint and assess values. Figure out what's uh, valuable, what your responsibilities are. Yeah, because values then lead to priorities. Yeah. Values shape priorities. And... Once you've established your values, then it's easier to identify, well, here's my priorities, and then the priorities influence time and energy. Yeah. Because we, we put energy toward the things that are, we put time and energy toward those things that are truly our priorities. We, we could say something else is our priority, but it's proven by what you put time and energy toward. Yeah. And so if a lot of people were honest and they'd say, well, one of my priorities is, you know, family but then they don't put time and energy that's corresponding to that value, then they're just lying to themselves. They're not telling the truth. Um, so in my determination, if, if I, once I established some of my values, they declared my priorities, now I can evaluate how I'm doing from year to year based on the distribution of my time and energy toward those things. Mm. And I can also then see where I'm not getting the house built the 
way that I wanted to because I, if I look honestly and go, well, Paul, you said this was important to you, but you're not putting the time and energy toward it. So then I have adjustments to make. So there's this sort of like ongoing, I don't want to call it an annual review, but there's a, there's a sense to which you're constantly reviewing your life against this blueprint and saying, well, if I keep on this pace of how I distribute my time and energy, will this house come to reality, this yeah. thing I'm trying to build? You mentioned like an annual review. I was thinking this probably requires a lot of watching yourself and listening to yourself to see yeah. how you're doing. Um, like I've recently tried to only say things that I actually think are true. Mm-hmm. That's a hard one because it's like it, it, if you do that, it reveals those say insecurities or fears or sure. whatever it may be that you have coming up. But yeah, you do have to watch yourself. Um, and w- whenever you aren't living out uh, what you claim to be true about yourself, that can be kind of well disappointing. It's easy to say it, but man, that's something that you don't want to look at sometimes. Yeah, and the truth of the matter is a lot of people never do that kind of work, so they don't look honestly at themselves. And I think that's I think that's dangerous because then you end up deceiving yourself that you're you're doing better than you really are because most of us we rationalize we're doing better than we really are. And um the the unfortunate part of that is someday you stand before a living God. <laughs> and he doesn't lie, he he doesn't placate, he doesn't say things that he doesn't mean. And so we're going to have this really honest review of our life at at a point in time. And I'm trying my best to be prepared for that to go well rather than to go poorly. That's the fear of being exposed, right? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, no, I won't bring that up. <laughs> I won't bring, now I, now I want to, though. But everybody has that dream where they're like, either completely nude or half nude in front of a crowd. <laughs> Here we go. Right? You're in it now. What is that? It has to be that. It has to be fear of exposure. Yeah, there's, there's, I've actually done some reading on where that all comes from, and it is, it's a, it's um, sort of a subconscious expression of our insecurities and our greatest fears is to be found out for who we really are. And, you know, it's interesting in the Bible, Mm. naked is one of the, scriptural or spiritual ways of describing like complete honesty or truth like you can't there's nothing to hide behind yeah you beat me to it because adam and eve first thing after they do yeah so when when they disobey god and they they eat of the tree that he had commanded them not to um i think it's at the end of chapter two they realized they were naked that's the first time they'd ever seen it that way or as a bad thing. For the first time, they were uncomfortable or awkward or ashamed in that situation because sin made it to be something that it wasn't intended to be. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's this whole theme throughout Scripture where you stand you know, naked before God. There's nothing you can hide behind because... He sees all, and um, that's it's, it's an interesting study. 
But Yeah. There's another quote. It's live in a way that you need not lie. Oh yeah. And it's like, oh, that's that's good. That's very good. That's very uh that's it's aiming at something great. But all right. Quickly sum up, I guess, those those steps that we mentioned and we can we can bring it to a close. Yeah, so having again, this is about I think this discussion is largely about living your life intentionally and having a purpose for how you go about living your life. Otherwise, you're left to just the script that's handed to you. It's just default. You end up pursuing things that are handed to you or uh, expected of you that may not necessarily be fulfilling or satisfying Mm. down in the depths of your soul because it's not you. So the person who longs to be intentional with the way that they live their life, they have to decide what am I living toward? That's the blueprint. Some sort of a clear definition of what they want to live toward. And then coming out of that blueprint, making some decisions based on values and priorities, where am I going to direct time and energy? Because I'm, I'm convinced at the end of the day, the story that I tell is simply the sum total of where I spent time and where I spent energy. And so that's, um, that's why those two components have assumed such an important place in my kind of philosophy of life or my paradigm for talking about living. And um, there's a lot more you can say about energy and, and what it is and, and how it's distributed. So, yeah, things like blueprint, things like values, things like priorities, things like time and energy, I think are really, really critical subjects for a person to not only understand but to be aware of because it's possible that you can become so seduced by all the things going on around you and this pace of life that is kind of thrown at you that you end up skimming off the top and never really living deeply. And a lot of people kind of live in this kind of numbness of that for far too many years of their life, and then they wake up one day and they're they're 75 and they're 80 and they're realizing, I, I don't have the capacity anymore to live my dream. Mm. But now it's too late. And I, 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 I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be, I wanted to get started on living that kind of life that was fascinating to me um, before I ran out of the capacity to do it. So I'll leave you with this. Um, I I think this is actually a very biblical theme, this whole discussion. Um, You know, you talk about Jesus in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. You're, You're making some sort of a value declaration about the rule of God in your life. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 talks about redeeming the time because the days are evil. So in light of the fact that you're living in this culture and society that has all these sorts of immoral expectations of how you should live your life, the Christian is somebody who redeems it, who grabs the minutes, the hours, the days, the weeks, the months of their life and um, utilizes them for important things rather than simply... Uh, going with the flow. Um, the writer of Hebrews chapter 10, he says, you know, let's not forsake 
the meeting of our a gathering of ourselves together as Christians. And then there's a little line at the end of that verse, verse 25, where he says, um, especially as the sea, the day approaching, meaning you're running out of time. You won't always have this opportunity. So it's critical that you seize time and energy toward the things that matter. But my favorite passage, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, but it really captures this whole thing, this idea that we've been talking about, is uh, Proverbs chapter 24, verses uh, 30 through 34. And this is classic you know, wisdom literature. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, it's, it's the portrayal of somebody who's observing life. And so it says, I went past the field of a sluggard. So somebody who wasn't intentional about time and energy. So a lazy, apathetic person. I went past the vineyard of the man who lacked the judgment to decide you know, what to do with his time. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. The stone wall that surrounded the garden or the, the field, it was in ruins. And here's, this is wisdom. I applied my heart to what I observed. So the, the spectator is looking at this lazy person who hasn't taken care of their garden. I applied my heart to what I observed. I learned a lesson from what I saw. And here was the lesson. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Mm. So this person who was lazy about the way they went about living their life, they end up living in poverty because of the neglect on their part. Mm. And it's such a great illustration is that so many people never do the hard work of tilling that garden of their life and you know managing that garden to keep it healthy. And then they wake up one day and they realize... Well, life's not very fulfilling. It's not very satisfying. It's not, it's not a bountiful kind of harvest. In yeah. the illustration of the the proverb. So, I just you know at fifty I woke up to the fact, not that I hadn't that I'd been neglecting my life, but I just realized that there were things that I could do better, and I needed to, I needed to kind of wake up and be more intentional about how I was going about living my life. And that all eventually boiled down to those very practical expressions of time and energy. Yeah. Yeah. And there's different levels of like where you're at. What just came to my mind was, um, you probably know the exact place and location, but the parable about um, the wealth distributed to the, I think, three individuals and they had to take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. One squandered it, I think. One... Put it in the ground. a little bit with it. Yeah, you know. maybe like put it in the ground. I didn't really do a whole lot, but then one really multiplied it. And if you think about um, life and your resources being time and energy given to you by God, well, what are you going to do with it? Are you just going to exist? Are you going to squander it? Yeah. Or are you going to multiply the gifts and, and responsibilities that he's given to you? Yeah, that, that whole parable is the wonderful illustration of stewardship. Yeah. So if you imagine that the master, because this is, this is what the parable is teaching, the master in the parable is God, and God entrusts to his people a certain, posi- a certain quantity of you know, life possessions, your body, your gifts, 
your time, your energy. And then basically he, he says, here, take good care of these because I'll come back and you'll answer for them. It's, it's just the whole story of life. Yeah. And some people, like the first steward, he played it really safe, and he didn't do anything with it because he didn't want to lo- you know, risk losing something. But then he never made anything out of it. And the, the master had a very severe rebuke mm-hmm. for his laziness and for his fear. Then the guy on the other end who went out and like took the risk and did things and then you know multiplied the resources that he had been trusted with, the, the master was pleased. Um, and so I, I, you know I guess what we're talking about is, in our stewardship of the life that God gives us, and I'm talking like in terms of years that we're on this earth and the opportunities that present themselves, I want to be the good steward. I want us to be good stewards of saying, okay, here's what I have. What can I do with it that will make for the biggest return? And the return isn't about wealth. The return is about impact or legacy. So what can I do to leave the greatest impact as a result of what I've been given because someday the master's going to return and ask for an accounting of what I did. Yeah. Hmm. And I think that takes a very intentional effort on our part to do that. Otherwise, if we just sort of, you know, um, drift through life or skim off the top, never really taking a lot of risk, um, never really being intentional other than just going with the flow, then we're essentially that first steward. And when the master comes back, we won't have much to show for it. And the, the consequences are severe. For anybody who wants assistance in writing this out, there's a really good resource that I found in doing some of this. And no, we're not... <laughs> We're not big enough to have been told this. This is not an ad. This is just me <laughs> genuinely wanting to help. Um, it's called the self-authoring program. And so it'll, there's like three different parts. There's past, present, and future. And in the past, you write about your past and how it formed you. Present is you go through your present uh, assessment. You, what, are, what are my virtues? What are my faults? And then future is, well, where, where am I going? Where, or where do I want to go? Um, but it's really helpful to write that out. Uh, it, it helped me a lot, and it it prompts you in all kinds of different ways. So, again, yeah, that that's I haven't seen that resource. I'm sure that's really good. Um, I'd also, I'm old school enough. I'd say go buy yourself a copy of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, and work your way through that book because he he's gone now, but uh, uh, the book I think stands the test of time. Yeah, it's pretty timeless. And so he has a number of exercises. Um, you know, what I call a blueprint, I think in his writing he calls a life mission. But basically you're, you're making a declaration of what your future looks like and then you're executing against it daily and checking off how you're doing and making progress toward it. It's the same concept, and I'm sure much of my thinking about it was shaped by the influence of of the writing of Stephen Covey on that whole topic. But, um, yeah, so that, you know, the resource you offered, a digital format, you can get a copy of the book and work.
work yourself through it, whatever's kind of more your style. But I, I would just, again, I'm a wisdom guy, so I think there's wisdom in taking the time, no matter what age you are, taking the time to do the work to make the effort of living your life with purpose. Mm. I agree. Well, thank you, sir. Was You're good, welcome. as always. And uh, we'll talk to everybody next time. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that new episodes are released every Wednesday. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CibolaCreek.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.